You're listening to Legally Bliss Conversations. This podcast reclaims and rewrites the stories female attorneys have been told about how we should practice law, grow our businesses, treat our clients, treat ourselves, and craft our identities as female attorneys. We'll hear inspiring stories from current and former female attorneys, the ones who question the stories they've been told, the ones who aren't afraid to live boldly and step into their own power. We'll learn from women who define success on their terms. Through lighthearted and curious conversation, we'll unpack the challenges these inspiring female attorneys have already navigated. So join me on this journey. You'll be empowered and ready to rewrite a completely new story about what is possible for you. Welcome everyone to Legally Bliss Conversations, and I'm especially excited to welcome today Heather Mulder. Heather is a former big law partner turned high performance coach and host of the Life and Law podcast. After more than 18 years in private practice in a battle with breast cancer, she traded her $2.5 million practice to help lawyers become happily successful and ditch stress, people pleasing, and overthinking for good. Heather uses her unique rewire, reconnect, realign framework to help her clients confidently build a practice they actually want so that they can increase impact and income without burning out. This simple three-part framework has been known to help her clients more than double their annual revenues while re-energizing professionally. When not helping her clients achieve more doing less, You'll either find Heather cooking and never guess it's gluten-free meal from scratch or cheering on her two baseball crazed, only slightly mischievous boys. Welcome again, Heather. I'm so happy you're here. You left a big law partnership post-cancer. So can you tell me a little bit about what that looked like, what that journey was like for you? (laughs) really scary (laughs) in a lot of ways. So, I mean, I think, I think most of us lawyers, we like to control things, right? Or we like to at least feel like we're in control. I would say that oftentimes we're not as in control as we think we are. And then something like this happens like cancer or a pandemic, right? And we realize how not in control we are of a lot of the things we think we've been controlling. It's just that things have been going along as we wanted. Um, And so when I found out I had breast cancer, I was 38. I was a young partner at the time. I had only been partner, oh, probably for four years, three, four years at that point. And um, I had just, so when I would step back for a real brief second, I'm a partner right after the 2008 financial crisis. So I made partner with a very small book of business that I had and was way proud of of course because you know rah rah i had a book of business as a as an associate and every bit of it was completely gone by the end of that year and so i spent the next two years pivoting my practice figuring out what do i really want to do because i'd been doing structured finance and there wasn't much of a practice in structured finance at the time so i had to figure something else out and kind of rebuild from scratch And so you fast forward a couple of years, I'd had my second child, I had to go out, I was on bed rest with him and took some time off obviously for that. And so I do think that actually helped me when it came to the cancer because I'd already had an experience of, okay, something's happened that I can't control. 
that is health related. I like when I was on bed rest, I was and I was on bed rest with both my kids. Unfortunately, I could not do anything but lay down <laughs> and try working when you're laying on your side all the time. It's pretty much impossible. You can't draft things. You can't, there's a lot you can't do. Right. And so I had to rely on my team and other people to do a lot for me. And I would be on the phone, but I couldn't actually do the work. So fast forward to the cancer diagnosis and I'm 38 years old. My kids were very young. They were six and two at the time. And it was a shock, needless to say. I didn't expect it, especially at that age. You're not expecting it, right? And so I'm, I'm here to tell everybody, please do. Please, 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 if you do not, self-exam. <laughs> like, check your, you need to do it regularly. Um, I wasn't, and it was kind of a weird coincidence coincidental thing that happened that made me discover it. And I luckily discovered it very early. Had I not, I don't think I'd be here because my cancer was super aggressive. Okay. Heather wisdom bomb. Number one, <laughs> ladies <Yes>. <laughs> go <laughs> get your annual exams. Yes. And put, you know, do yeah. your exams and check at least monthly yourself, regardless of whether or not you think you have a higher propensity, like a chance for it. Because what I did not know is that I actually carried one of the BRCA genes. I'm a BRCA2 carrier, which is one of the breast cancer genes, just made my chances for breast cancer much higher. But I did not know that because it had been handed down from my dad and it had been handed to him from his dad. So people think, well, my family doesn't have any history. When it's handed down through men, you might have a family history and not realize it. Right. We so, presume women. Correct. Wrongly. Correct. And so I thought, I'm 38. I don't need to be doing this. And so I was lucky. I did find it kind of accidentally. That's a whole other story. But I found it. And I just remember when I was finally diagnosed, and, and the day of diagnosis was kind of one of those weird things. So when I went in and got my, um, my biopsy, they were very kind of medical, right? It's just one, two, three, here we're doing it. We give you your results in five to seven business days, expect a phone call or something, okay? So weirdly enough, two days later, I woke up knowing I'm, I'm gonna find out today and I'm pretty sure it's bad. Even though they said five to seven business days, two days later, and lo and behold, I got the phone call from my doctor that day. It's like, I just knew. Your intuition. Yeah. yeah. So. I got the call and she said something to me that really stuck. She was like, Heather, this is really aggressive. You need to take care of this immediately. I have somebody you can see on, this was a Thursday. I have somebody you can see on Monday. I really think they're a specialist. They're wonderful. I think you should see them. I have somebody else I highly recommend, but they can't get you in for a couple of weeks. And I'm like, no, I'll take the Monday. And she's like, great. Hand everything off today. You're getting a CT scan tomorrow. Okay. And she's like, and hand everything off, like everything. You need to clear your deck for the next two to three weeks because you don't know. All I can tell you is you will be getting chemotherapy. You will be having surgery. I don't know what it's going to look like or how or when, but you'll get at least those two things. And the next week is going to be crazy because you're going to be seeing doctors. You're going to be getting tests. You're all this stuff. So that was terrifying, right? Like I, I had this moment where I sat down and cried, of course, <laughs> called my husband, cried more. And then I just kind of like cleared my head. I'm like, all right, I'm going to take the next three to four hours to just like call everybody I know, hand stuff off. And that's basically what I did. 
I handed it all off. I walked out of that office probably about 5, 5.30 that day, not knowing if I'd ever be back, not knowing what the next couple of weeks, months would look like. It was terrifying. And the one thing I would say that was helpful to me was having been through something before that, where I had also a medical emergency where I couldn't work the same, I did at least have that to fall back on where I, I had a team of people I could trust. I had I had been really careful in how I developed my practice in ensuring that I had colleagues I knew that trusted that I could hand things over to. I delegated more than I think the average attorney does. <laughs> and I trusted more than a lot of people do. I know it's really hard for us lawyers to let go and trust people. And we do get burned sometimes. And I'm not saying I never got burned, but I very intentionally after having that happen with my, you know, pregnancy, knew anything could happen, whether it be me, a family member, where I need to be out for a while and I need people around me I can trust who can handle stuff. And so that was really helpful for me. And you were able to do that in a big law firm environment, yes. which is really key. Yes. And I think important for people to understand that, like, I think that we get I think that a lot of firm partners and associates in, in, in large firms kind of believe that they're just at the mercy of everything else, mm -hmm. but you can really craft and hone your practice, even in big law. Oh yeah. And that includes how you delegate and the team that you surround yourself with. Yes. Yes. So when I built my practice and especially once I became a partner, I paid a lot of attention kind of growing up as a baby lawyer on up to the partners that seemed happy and the partners that weren't. And we all know them, right? And sadly, it seems like more are unhappy than happy, right? But I paid attention to, okay, what are the common traits and characteristics of each group of people? And the thing that I noticed, and I didn't have language around this at the time, now that I'm a coach, I kind of know what it is. But at the time I just knew there's something that the happy people are doing that's very different. And that is, they have certain principles or standards, they have boundaries, they have, you know, and it's really values. They know what their values are, even if they don't call them that. That's the coach speak, right? They have values, they know what their values are. And every choice they make revolves around those values from the team members that they select to the clients and the industry that they're in, the clients they're willing to work with, like everything. Because it is, it's not like, even if you have the best clients with the best team, being a lawyer from time to time is going to tax you. You're going to have deadlines that are crazy. You're still going to have to work a lot at times. So I'm not saying you, you know, yes, you can have boundaries as a lawyer, but you do have to have some wiggle room in there, right? If you want to be successful, because we are service based professionals. So that's what I noticed. And by doing that, they had clients that really didn't just think of them as lawyer, their lawyer, but friends, people they respected. And then they respected their time more too. So when they called them with an emergency, it was a true emergency, not some made up one, or they didn't create them and then call them, right? They didn't, they called them earlier on and brought them in earlier. And so they didn't have as many fires to fight. They didn't, you know, and they had these practices that were just so much easier to manage as a result. And so I did that when I was building my own practice, and I think it made it a lot easier because when you view things through that lens, 
it's easier then to let go a little bit more. It's easier to trust and allow people to step up and you get more pleasantly surprised. Not saying I never got burned, but because you've chosen people very carefully, you're less likely to get burned and it makes it a little bit easier. So all of that really helped because when I walked away, not only did I walk away for several weeks, so my progression was the next like, this was the fastest probably ever that, that you'll hear of, or maybe there's somebody else, but everybody I tell the story to, they're like, whoa, this was fast. So I was diagnosed on a Thursday. They didn't even have written results back. It was so aggressive. They, the, the pathologist called my doctor, told her what was going on, who then called some other doctors, scheduled some things for me, called me, and then the next day I was getting testing. The next Monday I met my surgical oncologist. Tuesday, I met my medical oncologist. Wednesday, I had an MRI bone scan and I had some other tests done too. That Friday, I had my port placed so that they could give me chemotherapy. And the next Monday, I started chemo. <laughs> it was so like crazy. Really, yeah. You really had to clear your calendar oh, yeah. to take care of oh, yeah. yourself. And I basically didn't talk to anybody for about two weeks from work. I just trusted they were going to take care of it. That is amazing that you had that level of trust with them. Yes. Yeah, it was. And, and so this is, you know, I think a lot of people think big law is really cutthroat and it can be, but I also picked a firm that fit really well within my values and not just the firm, but the office and the people there. And so I was very careful about who I chose to surround myself with and the people I'm not saying every person there was like that because they weren't because they're I mean no group is like that right you just it doesn't work that way but I aligned myself and really networked internally carefully from the time I started there as a fifth year associate on up until making partner and building my practice so that I had people that I could trust that you know and of course I backstopped them when they needed it too right so it's a two-way street and so it's definitely doable. And after about two weeks, I would basically from, so I was diagnosed in January. I did not really truly work at all until mid to late October of that year. What I did was I, I regularly, like weekly would call in to my clients say, hey, how are you doing? Are you being taken care of? And of course they were more concerned about me, <laughs> but just making sure that they were taken care of, but it, it was like a 10 or 15 minute conversation once a week with a couple of people. I did no actual work. Everybody else took care of it. And then I would check in with the partners who were kind of running the deals to say, hey, do you have questions? Like, and the questions would be more like, how does your client like this? How do they like, you know, the, the, the relationship stuff that they wanted to make sure they were aligned with how I had created those relationships. And so that was it. That's all I did. I did not work. And then when I came back, it was part-time. I basically let probably 70% of my work stay with other people. And I did a little bit for the, really the first year back because my body was a mess. And then I slowly, but surely took it all over and then built my business back up because <laughs> it did, it did dip a little bit during that time period. So my treatment, I was super lucky. I got into a trial of a drug that was incredibly effective for a very small subset of people. I happen to be one of them. <laughs> and I do think it saved my life. Um, I've actually passed the 10 year mark this year and am officially considered cured as of January of this year. That's amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you. Um, 
one thing that you had mentioned, we talked about early is uh, the intuition that you had mm -hmm. that morning that you woke up, you're like, I'm going to hear from them, them today. Where else do you see intuition arising in your practice? Are you comfortable leaning into your intuition as a lawyer? Yes. When it comes to relationships and people like, well, I guess actually that's not totally true. Yes. For that, for sure. I know I'm a good people reader. I always have been. And if I, my intuition has alarm bells, I learned very early on after wrongly taking somebody on as a client, don't ever do that again. Your intuition was right. <laughs> right. So you're looking back. Yeah. You're looking back at this, your intuition, maybe not necessarily when you're giving legal advice. And, and I do have to say that you're not practicing law anymore. You Correct. are, you have your company, but, um, when you have done that prospective client vetting, you mm -hmm. really leaned in to your intuition. Yes. I think that's really key. Yes. So what is, what's a really big red flag that you, you've been able to tell that people might find helpful? Well, it's funny because sometimes you just don't know what it is. It's not obvious, but you have that feeling, that gut feeling that says, just don't. And I think the red flag is internal, right? It's this, this voice that keeps saying, yeah, but. Yeah, but there's something there. Yeah, but, and you keep trying to rationalize why you don't want to listen to it. That's the red flag. That's the sign of, okay, stop and consider what's really going on. Why am I like thinking this and try to identify it? Because usually what happens is the rational voice kicks in, the lawyer kicks in, the lawyer trying, yeah, but, because we like the pros, the cons, everything. And so you start listing out all this stuff and you forget, you only, list the the facts the paper the the what's obvious without going back and checking in okay but what else is there and considering that too and so if that voice i mean i think intuition can lead you astray sometimes if it just happens once and you go with your gut right just one time or but if there's something that's nagging at you that's a sign <laughs> yeah that's a sign yeah. and i think that's a, that's really key too that if you like if you notice your rational voice coming back, coming back around constantly, right? Like that's something to kind of be on to yourself. Like maybe there's something here. Maybe there's a red flag with this prospective client. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that one of the best ways to prevent malpractice is at the door, right? Before you take on a new client. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> um, listening to that intuition, you can sit there and make pro con lists uh -huh. all day long. Um, but if your gut is telling you something, definitely listen to it. Absolutely. Yeah. Or at least, and, and, and I think where people go astray, especially lawyers is they think listening to it means automatically making a decision in alignment with it. Listening to it means stepping back and saying, okay, something's there. Let's explore that and see what that is. And then we can include that in our decision-making. It's part of the decision-making right? It isn't necessarily the decision, but part of the analysis. Correct. Correct. And we, we often just shut it off and, and don't even look at it. I want to ask you a question about something that you had posted or you'd sent to me. Um, I'd asked you, you know, what is it that you would love to tell young associates, especially females? And you said it's possible for female associates to create a practice they love without sacrificing their soul. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that. And I'm curious, what does that, <laughs> how, <laughs> please, I would love to know just kind of 
little bit more about your thinking on there. You said also that you don't have to settle for less to have balance. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like for female associates to actually be able to like create this practice they love without selling their souls or settling for less, right? Which everybody selling thinks is for less. So I think there's a couple <laughs> of things there. There's a few things that society's bought into that I think is just incorrect that we assume is correct. And so because we assume that we go after all the wrong things. And then there's mm -hmm. something that yeah. lawyers have bought into as well. So that it's several things. So the first thing is this whole definition of what success is. Exactly. We yeah. often think that success has more to do with the money we make, the things that we have, and how other people view us. That's part of it. And I'm not saying that's not any of it. Obviously, it's important to some extent what other people think of you as far as whether they're going to hire you or, you know, if you're a good lawyer or not. But what's also important that we forget to put in there is what do we think of ourselves? How do we feel about ourselves, about how we're showing up every day, about how present we are, about how aligned we are to what's what's important to us, right? Are we actually aligning our lives around what's a true priority for us? And so that's number one. And so to do that correctly, you really need to redefine success in a different way. And instead of thinking of success as the achievement, we often think of success as getting to a spot, right? This is my goal, this is where I wanna be, or this is my vision for what I want my life to look like or my practice to look like. Oh, that's great. I'm not saying we shouldn't have goals, but the actual success is not so much the outcome, but the input, how you're showing up every day, how you're making decisions, because that's number one, that's where all your living is. The actual achievement is very fleeting. The, all the living is done in the doing. And so you want to make sure that the doing is done in alignment with what's really, truly important to you. And that's why I say values are so important, because I do think we have this really weird definition for happiness as though we can always be happy and up and, you know, and fulfilled. And I mean, that's just not life. There's always going to be things we don't like doing that we have to do as part of our practice and are part of our daily existence and living. And yet you can still be pretty happy with it overall, right? I think it's really more about contentment, contentment in who you are, how you show up um, and the decisions that you're making. And so that's very values based. So that that's number one. Number two is this idea that having it all is even wanted. I mean, I don't, these arguments about whether you can have it all or not, I don't think even matter because who the heck wants it all? Like, think about what it all is. Like, what is it? It's like, I like to say, it's almost like you're being presented with a buffet full of food, right? Like every food you could possibly imagine. Some of which you really love, some of which you eh, you could do without, and some of it you absolutely hate, but you're told you're supposed to want it all and eat it all at once. I mean, nobody wants that. So like, this is why redefining success your own way and figuring out what is it I really want, what's most important to me, how do my values play into that is so important. And then the third and final piece, and this is very lawyer specific, put your clients first, total BS. I'm sorry, but that's not possible to put your clients first if you're going to be a good lawyer. <laughs> because if you put your clients first, you're going to put like at some point, you are going to be so far down the list that you're not going to show up to be able to put your clients first anyway. 
I mean, it's just totally backwards. So you have to really put yourself first. And I'm not saying in a selfish way, but in a, you got to care about yourself to be able to care about others. It's like the whole oxygen mask, you know, of the child in the airplane. You got to put your own yours on first to ensure you can actually put one on them. <laughs> Same thing. You're speaking my language with that. Um, that's one of my kind of big spiky points of view is attorney first attorneys first, right? So because I am a big mental health advocate for um, lawyers, it's, it's super important. And I think it's kind of rich when I come across, you know, postings about, you know, this law firm, we put a client, we put clients first, we put clients first, it's so generic. And it's, it's like, are you saying that with, with any forethought, right? What does that really mean putting clients first? Because you're doing that at the expense of the health and mental health of your lawyers. Which actually means that you're really not putting your clients first, by the way. Really means. Because, not I, mean, really. I mean, really step back and think about what the long-term repercussions are of that are. You can go a while not taking very good care of yourself, but eventually it frays your mental well-being. It frays your physical well-being and you can't show up very well. This is why lawyers have higher than average rates of anxiety, stress, depression, drug and alcohol abuse. That's what happens when you're always putting others first and never really taking care of yourself. So you've got to take care of yourself and care about yourself enough so that you can then show up as, because think about it, you got to show up as your best version to actually do your best for your clients, which means putting yourself first. <laughs> so yeah yeah I think that's it that's super important for people to understand and a lot of people have a hard time kind of wrapping their heads around mm -hmm. it or they do take that perspective that oh well that means you're selfish but it, it's it's the like the last thing it means right like taking care of yourself I think is you know essentially how you can best take care of your clients mm -hmm. you have to have a you have to like your mental health has to be, you have to be healthy yes. to be able to take care of your clients at the end of the well, day. And I think there's a difference, right? Sure, people could take that to an extreme and be incredibly selfish. It depends on what your, again, your values are and what the goal of putting yourself first is. So if you're putting yourself first so you can show up to be the best person you can be, that's not very selfish at all. It's not selfish at all. If you're putting yourself first at the expense of everybody else, you know, everybody else be damned. Well, of course that is, but that's not what we're talking about here. And, and I think people create these straw man arguments of it's either, you know, it's this or nothing. And that's just not true. Let's take a quick pause for a message from my sponsor, Prominent Practice. Are you thinking about a career transition from big law or partnership to a solo practice, selling your practice, or maybe you're launching a project unrelated to law? Whatever the reason for your transition, you'll need support along the way. Enter Prominent Practice, an executive consulting and marketing firm specializing in branding, positioning, and reputation management for transitioning attorneys. Founded by a female entrepreneur who spent a decade building smart digital platforms for thought leaders before pivoting to focus on high-end service providers who were preparing for successions, mergers, and acquisition events in their businesses. 
If you're thinking about making a big business move, don't risk losing the ability to leverage the reputation you've spent your career building. Let Prominent Practice be your guide. Visit prominentpractice.com slash blist for an exclusive introduction. So I'm curious, you, after um, you got well, you went back into practice, you kind of started building your book of business again and your, your practice. But at some point you decided, I want to work with lawyers kind of, and with people in a different capacity. And that's, I'm really curious, like, what was your impetus for that? What kind of instigated that thinking? It was not overnight, I have to say. It was, and yes, it was what we're talking about now, but it, it so there's something that happens, and I think this happens to a lot of cancer patients and probably people who deal with other big illnesses, right? You go through this fight of your life and all you can think about is I just want to go back to normal. I want to go back. I want to go back. I want to go back, right? And then you get to the other side and you try really hard to create that feeling of where you were before. The problem is it doesn't work that way because that journey has changed you and your outlook on your health, your life, everything. But you don't quite know how it's changed you yet. And I tried to journey through that for a couple of years before trying, finally deciding, okay, I got to figure this out. So the impetus, the moment for me is I kind of struggled for a couple of years just trying to get back to normal. And I was very successful from the outside looking in, right? I built my practice up. I, you know, I was doing better than ever. My kids weren't yet healthy. I was doing better. But there was this moment where well, two moments that happened pretty close together. Number one, my husband at one point looked at me and was like, do you even want to be married to me anymore? And that was a gut punch, like what? And so, cause I'd been struggling on the inside and never saying much about it, right? And so I was distant and pulling away from him and not really fully there. And then I also, around the same time, I remember there was this moment where I was washing dishes and my kids were around, they were playing. And I almost felt like I was above looking down on my life, looking at me, and I'm like, this person looks like me, she sounds like me, but she doesn't feel like me. This isn't me anymore. And so that was kind of those two things close together where they're like, okay, Heather, you gotta figure this out. You gotta figure out what's going on with you. And it took another year and a half or so for me to decide, oh, I wanna do coaching and, and start my own business and help lawyers live better lives, not you know be a lawyer anymore. But that was kind of the beginning and the interesting thing that i found about that is once i figured out you need to do something and i started talking about it and admitting it and then just exploring all those weird feelings like i felt like i wasn't me anymore and i wasn't living my own life and and they kind of went away because i knew i was doing what i needed to do to figure it out so i didn't have to actually make the change for me to feel better and be better i just needed to start like allowing myself to go there so that was, I found that very interesting. Um, and it's something I tell my clients a lot when they first hire me. Cause I'm like, you know, you, it's, you're gonna start feeling better before you realize it. You don't have to go make whatever big change you think you need to, to start feeling better. Um, it's just, you need to start listening to yourself more and allowing yourself to just kind of like go there and start thinking through these things. What was it like to actually leave the, the big law firm and start your own business? <laughs> I know that a lot of people that I talk with have their identity very wrapped mm -hmm. up in being a lawyer. So that's really scary too, to kind of put that aside. Right. 
I did not have that. And I think the benefit of having had cancer and gone through what I went through really protected me from that because at that point, I had really pulled away from my identity being wrapped up in what I did for a living. It's not wrapped up in what I do for a living now either. Um, and it's not wrapped up in how much money I make either. That was actually probably a bigger part of it that was harder for me because for years, my husband does really well, but I was the big breadwinner and I'd kind of gotten used to that and I liked that, right? And leaving all of that behind and starting your business from scratch, not exactly great. And by the way, so when I first came out, I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to help them with stress management and other things in the kind of to help with mental health and, and self-care. I didn't actually know I wanted to work with lawyers initially. I kind of needed a break from law and lawyers. So my first year out, I kind of took a sabbatical and didn't do much at all and tried to figure out what do I even want to do? Who do I really want to serve? And after that first year, that second year, people started coming to me slowly but surely who were lawyers. And so I kind of like fell into it and decided to go all in just as the pandemic hit, <laughs> which pushed my business back because you know, lawyers, we are not risk takers. And so everybody I was talking to, and plus I was starting to do a lot of speaking and, you know, that kind of stuff, well, all that shut down. So all the speaking gigs were gone um, for a while. And yes, the online stuff came back, but it wasn't the same and they don't pay the same. I'll just be honest. <laughs> um, and, you know, a lot of the, the lawyers I'd been talking to, they were like, even clients, like, I need to put this on hold for a while. I got to see what this looks like. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. And so they, everybody like, wanted to like stand still for a while. And I will say it actually has ended up being a really great thing over time, but for about, you know, eight, nine, 10 months, it wasn't. And it kind of like set me back. And so I think the thing that was scariest for me, and I went through that a little bit again there was this, when you own your own business, there is no guarantee. And I'll be honest, I don't think there is a guarantee anyway, but you feel safer when you're in an organization with other people. <laughs> not out on your own. <laughs> 2008 happened. And that's what taught me that there was no guarantee that you were going to continue to be in a, in the career that you're in, right? Or the corporate job or the corporate firm. So th there are no guarantees. So there aren't, but it's really easy, even when you experience those things to then lull yourself back into that thought process, because it feels that way for so long. And so it was kind of a, a reminder of, oh yeah, no, I, it, this is all up to me, but it always was. And I wasn't ever guaranteed anything. And so once I reminded myself of that, it was a lot easier. And once I let go of the money thing, you know, it's funny when you worry about money, I never used to be one of those money scarcity, like mindset people. I was like, Ugh, whatever, that sounds too woo woo for me. And I'm not a woo woo girl, I'm a lawyer, right? But my own experience with it is like, yeah, there's something to this. Because when you sit there and think, oh my God, I don't make the same money I used to. Oh my God, I don't, you know, you're coming from a different mentality. It's not as easy to make it. You show up differently. You don't, don't attract people in the same way. And it, it was once I let go of that, that my business started really taking off again. <laughs> and I was able to, Fascinating. Yeah, it, it, because I think I showed up differently, right? Um, yeah. yeah and held back more when I felt, when I thought that way. So, yeah. What do you think, we're, we can kind of get into a little coaching here. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think the thought was that was maybe giving you that, that feeling, right? Like, what do you think the thoughts were in your head? Were you really, were you having 
maybe scarcity thoughts? I was. Like I was, I think I was coming from, because I'd easily made money before was, I don't, I guess it wasn't easy, right? I worked my ass off. I built my practice. Like it wasn't easy, but it felt that way looking back because it yeah, had been, yeah. it had been more obvious what I was supposed to do, I guess. Like you join, you yeah. become a, you join a firm, you follow the steps, you become a partner, you, you know, like boom, boom, boom. I just went up that ladder the way I was supposed to. And so that felt easier and it yeah, brought yeah. in the money. And then I was coming out on my own. It was like by myself, I had to figure out online marketing, which is a little bit of a different beast than lawyer marketing. Although it's more lawyers need to learn how to online market, which I, I help them with now <laughs> because I know that. Um, but you know, it was new under the technology and the websites and all the crap that I never had to worry about made me doubt myself more and made me question myself more. And it just kind of exacerbate that feeling of, I don't make the same money as I did before. And I don't, you know, and so I think all of it just kind of like combined together. And mm -hmm. it wasn't obvious to me that a lot of it had to do with the money scarcity kind of problem. Cause there was all of this other stuff, right? All but the others once I faced that and let go of it, everything else was like, oh, this isn't that bad. I can figure this out. I'm smart. Like if I went, if I did well in law school and I did well in the LSAT and I did well in the bar and I was able to build my practice to that, like if I did that, I could do this. This is not that bad. Like it took me to let go of that before I could get to that place with everything else. Right. So. And it's interesting because you were having to wear more of an entrepreneurial hat, mm -hmm. right? Like once you the law practice, all of a sudden you had all of these other tasks kind of fall upon you, like the administrative part, right? Before you would send, you had your billing department, <laughs> you had the marketing department, and now all of a sudden everything is the Heather Mulder department. Yes, uh, everything was on me, of, yeah. There's a lot of beauty in being able to make your own decisions pretty quickly, mm -hmm. right? That's kind of one of the fun things of being an entrepreneur. Yes. You don't have to go through layers of partners and, you know, all, all of so this. So much to, better, like, yes. And people still ask me, will you, will you ever go back? I'm like, no. I mean, I don't know if my business will be the same five years, 10 years from now. It might be a little different. Probably will be different in some way, shape, or form. But am I going to go back and practice? No. I didn't hate it. I loved it. But I think that season of my life has passed. And... I've discovered, I think one of my clients said this, she's like, I'm, you know, I'm sure you were a fabulous lawyer, but this is what you're supposed to do. Like you are supposed to, you, you're really, really good at helping people and on a very individual basis and bringing out the best in them and helping them simplify things in ways they couldn't figure out how to simplify them and get stuff done. And this is what you're meant for. And I think she's, she's right. <laughs> so I'm not going back, but you know, What's your favorite thing about coaching? You know, it's probably twofold. I love watching my clients realize they have more in them than they ever thought they had. And I learn so much from them. Like, I don't know if people realize, you know, coaches learn from their clients too. It's not just a one-way street. And there's so much I learned from them and so much I can pull and then write about and help people with because they help me have these aha moments of my own. Oh, that's how to talk about this in a way where it's really gonna like get somebody to think differently or, you know, and so, yeah, that part has 
surprise me. (laughs) (laughs) You have this framework, Mm -hmm. rewire, reconnect, realign. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of just imagining like this triangle. Mm -hmm. So do you create this? And I'm kind of curious how this, that framework works without giving away a Mm -hmm. lot of your property. Proprietary um, information, but like what I'm, I'm curious about what it is, and so it's something that I again didn't have proper language for until I became a coach. But I actually created it for myself, and it's how I got. So a couple years into my practice, I was super burned out. I was the typical lawyer who was not putting myself first, was saying yes to everything except anything that was relating to me. And got to the point where I was like, why the heck did I want? I wanted to be a lawyer forever. And yet I was questioning, did I really want this? This is nuts. And I thought, okay, the profession is totally broken. I was just burned out. And that's when I started to step back and see the two different groups of the happy versus unhappy lawyers and started to pay attention. So the first step for me was the rewire piece. And that's the mindset. That's the, like, you have to own your own stuff. You have to take responsibility for how your decisions have really impacted you. You have to learn how to change how you relate to the thoughts you have. So I think a lot of us believe that if we feel certain things or think certain things, it's automatically wrong and we should just push them away. We get ashamed, we attach shame to them, right? Um, And that's just not true. They're telling us something. It's actually much healthier to sit back and say, okay, what is that thought exactly? How am I thinking? You know, what are my feelings? What are all the thoughts causing those feelings? And explore it. Because only then can you start to shift your perspective, reframe it, and start changing how you actually think. So that's kind of the rewire piece. And part of that also is proper stress management and taking control over stress and being more present, training your mind to be a little more present in the moment. That's a big problem we lawyers have. We have these spinning minds of a million things and we think multitasking is just so great. And it's not. Um, It's really detrimental to you personally, but also to the work you do. And so that's rewire. And then the realign is understanding your values and then aligning, you know, kind of, well, defining them clearly and redefining success that are in a way that is um, or did I say realign? It's reconnect, reconnect with your values. So, and then redefining success in a way that's values-based and then realigning is the actually going out and doing it, right? The uh, making choices that are hard, but necessary to align around what your priorities are, which is really values-based priorities. So that's the three. That's so important. I love that because, um, you know, I look back when I was a young associate and I didn't define my values. Mm-hmm. Like, and I went in some wrong directions, mm-hmm. you know, and, I, and it's okay. Right. Cause I'm, it look, I look back and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm here, but I do look at some mistakes that I made mm-hmm. that I think could have been corrected if I had kind of set out my value system like actually being methodical and yes. mindful about yes. it and making and having it posted on a post-it note or something, right? And reevaluating every year or two or after any yes. life, right? Yes. Just to make sure that I'm still making decisions that align with my value system. Um, I think that's key. We we tend to set goals and be great at moving forward and, and reaching those goals in a lot of ways. But if we're not setting our values and making decisions on a daily basis that keep us aligned with those those values, we often veer off into areas that we don't really 
or we get there and we're like, oh, oops, I didn't mean to be here. <laughs> I make this money. But I'm really unhappy. I'm so miserable, yeah. right? Because, you know, maybe, maybe my value would have values would have been included, you know, having a family or, you know, things like that. So I, key, this is so key, Heather, that you're doing this with, with young well, I mean, it doesn't have to be young mm -hmm. lawyers. No, <laughs> I work with lawyers, right? really any yeah. level of attorney. Any level. So I, I work yeah. with associates and then also I work with partners and sometimes just on these pieces and then other times for business development. I help with business development coaching too. And, and it's so key. <laughs> if you want a really thriving practice that isn't going to burn you out, you want to create a values-based practice because and, and keep these values front and center and really ensure you're, you're clear around what success, what you want a successful practice to be. And a successful practice doesn't just mean the practice in and of itself, but how does it integrate with the rest of your life? You've got to think about all of the above because there are trade-offs, right? There, and this is why this whole, without settling for less, yes, there are trade-offs. There are trade-offs to every decision we make. It's just getting clear on what are those trade-offs and which are the right ones for me, given my current circumstances. That's how you get to the point where you feel like you're not settling because you've made a very clear conscious choice based on what you want your life to overall look like now and what you think you want it to look like in the future. And then what you said is so key, you've got to kind of re-evaluate it. I, I tell my clients every year, you kind of re-evaluate your vision for your future and you reevaluate your goals and you set goals based on what that perfect future is. And guess what? That perfect future is going to change all the time because you're going to change over time and seasons of life change. What I want now with a teenage, you know, teenager and a soon to be teenager in my life, you know, my kids is very different than what I wanted when I started my career without kids. And I'm sure 10 years from now, when both the boys are out of the house, that's going to be different too. <laughs> so. Right, right. So regularly kind of reevaluating your values is is very key. Um, that that would be actually like a great workshop to do, mm -hmm. right? Is help people kind of reevaluate their their values um, annually, or or maybe like I said, like after you have a major life event. Yes. After the kids go to college, yes. and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do? <laughs> yes. Yes, it might be something we should co-host one day. <laughs> Huh. I'm starting that to, would my, be my, my, yeah, it would be, it would be, um, Heather, this has been su such an amazing conversation. I've just loved learning more about your journey and I would love for you to tell people where they can learn more about you and find you on social media and online. Sure. So they can find me several places. I'm on LinkedIn, um, Heather Mulder, M-O-U-L-D-E-R. I'm on Instagram, although I'm on LinkedIn more than Instagram, I got to say. Uh, they can also find me through lifeandlawpodcast.com, which is my podcast. And then my website where I have all my coaching stuff is coursecorrectioncoaching.com. Thank you so much, Heather. This has been fun. And I hope to see you again on a future podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today on Legally Bliss Conversations. If you love this episode and you want to hang out with other inspiring and light gold female attorneys, be sure to join the Legally Bliss community at legallyblissed.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Susie Nixon. See you next time.